Welcome to CLCC Online. We pray that this message draws you towards Jesus and strengthens your walk with Him. We believe that we were meant to do life in community. So if you live in the Fraser Valley area, we would love to get you connected into the family. Find everything you need at clcc.ca. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. Thank you for welcoming us into your homes. We're continuing this week on our series, Plot Twists. Surprising things that Jesus said. Things where we'd say, wow, I didn't see that coming. The first week we looked at uh, what God is like. And the story of the prodigal son really tells us that the father is far more generous, far more loving, far more kind, far more forgiving than we can imagine. And then the second week, we looked at what the kingdom of God is like. And Jesus surprises us be, by telling us that the kingdom of God is like new wine. It, it changes, it's refreshing, and it needs new wineskin, new containers all the time in order to uh, really fit uh, how the kingdom changes different times and different cultures, etc. And then last week, we learned about what we are like. Well, when the Pharisee prayed uh, in the story that Jesus told and the tax collector prayed, we saw that the Pharisee was arrogant and uh, he was praying as if he was thinking that he was so great and he was looking down at others. And, and Jesus was really saying that the, uh, the tax collector who just came and threw himself on God's mercy, uh, that's the kind of thing that God is looking for. Well, this week, we're going to look at part two, what, what are we like? And we're looking at the parable of the deceitful sons. So in the context of Matthew, Matthew's gospel, chapter 21, Jesus is talking to the chief priests and elders. Now, they're really the religious status quo of the Jewish faith. And they were questioning Jesus about where his authority came from. After all, he, he spoke as if he was talking for God. He, he healed people. He, he, he talked to people as, as if he knew what God was like. And so they're, they're, they're probing him and asking him, where, where do you get this authority? To, and Jesus refuses to answer them. And he says to them, answer this question, and I will tell you. <laughs> he says, does John's baptism, did John's baptism come from heaven or from men? In other words, was it divine in origin, or was it just something that John made up? You see, John the baptizer had become a very popular figure at that particular time. And, and lots and lots of people were coming to be baptized by John. The common folk loved him. The common folk were crowding uh, into uh, uh, places where John was baptizing. You see, in the first century, at this particular time, uh, the people were really desperate for something new and something refreshing to happen. Uh, people knew that the world was broken, particularly being a Jewish person in the Roman Empire. They were going through some very tough times, and there was a, there was a sense of expectancy that God would do something to deliver them from the oppression of the Roman Empire. And not only that, they, they saw that the current religious beliefs, the current way of practicing Judaism 
wasn't going to fix the problem. It really didn't meet the need of the common person. And so when John came and he, he began to preach, he began to say things like, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, something unexpected is going to happen. And if you'll come and you repent, we'll start fresh. Well, the people were expecting a physical kingdom to come and to be delivered from the Roman Empire. But when Jesus comes, he begins to teach that there's this spiritual kingdom that's going to come. For those who would repent, for those who would come to him, they could be introduced to the kingdom of God. So the chief priests and the elders wouldn't answer Jesus's question about uh, whether John's preaching was from divine origin or was from heaven or whether it was from men, just something that John made up because they were afraid. They were afraid if they said that his preaching actually came from heaven, the people would ask, why weren't they baptized? And if they said that it was simply from man or just made up, they'd be in big trouble with the crowds because the crowds thought that John the baptizer was a prophet and they would uh, incite a riot. So Jesus tells them this parable, the parable of the deceitful sons, Matthew 21, verse 28 to 32. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said, the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first they answered, Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe in him. Let's pray. So Father, we thank you, first of all, that you continue to surprise us. You surprise us with your grace. You surprise us with your love. You surprise us with your kingdom. And you surprise us by telling us things about ourselves that maybe we've kept covered up or maybe we have ignored. And I pray the Lord that we would learn from this parable something about ourselves and that we would work to, well, that we would work to do the will of the Father and to please you, not only with our profession, but with the practice, the things that we do. Thank you for the story of the deceitful two sons. Amen. So here's the imagery of the parable, and this would be apparent to anybody who was listening to the parable, because this was traditionally how people perceived the world. First of all, the father in the story represents God. Secondly, the vineyard in the story where the sons were asked to go and work is Israel because Israel was in the Old Testament was depicted as the vineyard of God. And the sons in the story are the obedient and disobedient people within Israel. Now, keep in mind here in the story that neither of these sons brings joy to the father. Imagine what it would be like. Well, you don't need to imagine like what it would be like if you're a father. You know what it's like. You asked your child to do something. Son, clean up your room. Son, cut the grass. Son, take the dishes to the sink from the table. And the son refuses. You know what it makes you feel like? It makes you angry. That, that, that. You expect your kids to do what they're told to do. And so uh, the first son, the response is an outright no. He's probably the oldest son, uh, and um, 
the oldest son in the first century would receive the lion's share of the inheritance. So he had the most to lose, actually, by refusing to do what the father asked. But he refuses to go to the vineyard. It's probably a family vineyard. He's probably asking to go weed the vineyard or perhaps uh, prune the vines. Uh, it's probably not harvest time because that, that would be automatically a whole thing that the whole family and, and more in the community would be involved with. But he's disrespectful, disrespectful in his refusal. He just says no to the father. And then he later changes his mind and he goes to work. Now, the second son says this. He says, I will, sir, but he does not go. Now, perhaps what you wouldn't notice on first glance at first reading here is that that word sir is the word lore in the Greek, lord in the Greek. It comes from kurios. It's actually the word kure. Uh, and so he's, he's basically saying, not so, lord. And it, it brings to mind Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, where Jesus said that not everyone who says to me, lord, lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my father. So the second son acts like that person who says Lord, who calls the father Lord, sir, but then doesn't do the will of the father. Now Jesus compares the tax collectors and the prostitutes to the first son in verses 31 to 32. They say no at first. They're, they, they are, um, well, notoriously doing things that people would consider to be out of bounds for the kingdom of God, out of bounds for the people of God. And yet they rethink and they repent and they come. So, so these are the people who came to John's baptism. And, and by rethinking, by repenting and confessing, they're baptized by John and they're beginning to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, the chief priests and elders are compared to the second son. Uh, they say the right things, but they refuse to repent. They refuse to do the right things. Well, I think what Jesus is getting at here is that there are two types of people in the world. There are those whose practice is better than their profession, and there are those whose profession is better than their practice. You know what I mean? You know, there, there, there are people who 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 do the right things, but but really never profess much. You know, this is sometimes people who who um, don't really care about what people think about them. They just go about quietly doing the right thing. Then there's others who care a lot about what others think about them and try to bring uh, put on a good front and and are quick to uh, say the right things, but in practice they don't they don't follow up. Now, keep in mind that no one's practice exactly matches their profession. You know, in, in church, we say, Jesus is Lord, and, and we sing songs of praise and adoration and commitment of our lives to, to, to Jesus and to his lordship. But, but in reality, it isn't always the case that Jesus is Lord of our lives. And, and, and quite often, we, we do things that that really are, are not fitting with the lordship of Jesus in our lives. And so we know that as, as followers of Jesus, as, as churchgoers, our profession is often outstretching our grasp of the lordship of Jesus Christ. So often our profession is better than our practice. And, and this isn't necessarily a bad thing, because I think that that 
profession uh, helps to challenge us in our practice. So when we sing those songs, we're, we're really saying, this is the way I want to be. This is the way I hope to be. This is what I hope God will help me accomplish in my life so that I would do the will of the Father. Note that there's that there's hope for those whose uh, profession uh, outstretches their, their practice. Uh, even the uh, chief priests and the elders have hope. Notice that uh, Jesus says that the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom ahead of them. He doesn't say the tax collectors or the prostitutes and the tax collectors uh, are entering alone but ahead of them. In other words, there's hope. There's hope for the chief priests. There's hope for the elders. They too can enter if they repent. So both those who profess and then don't follow up and those who who don't profess and follow up, there's hope for everybody in the kingdom of God if we will repent. There is room in the kingdom for everyone. The key, though, is repentance and doing the will of the Father the way of righteousness. And righteousness basically means the right relationship with God is through repentance. That's found in verse 32. Doing the will of the Father is key. We must practice what we profess. We have to recognize that there's discord in our lives between what we profess and how we practice our faith. And I think every one of us recognize that. Um, this is something that John Eldridge, in his, in his really good book called Resilient, he calls these things our, our unconverted places. There are places in our lives where we say, well, I haven't quite got that right yet. There are some things that, I've, that I'm okay with, and I really feel I'm following God's will, and I'm, and I'm tracking with my profession. But there are other places that really just, well, there's discord. They, they really don't fit with who I want to be. Where our practice fails to live up to our profession of Jesus as Lord. These are things like, well, anger or rage or or binging. Some of the things that we binge on or uh, could be talking about lust or our media choices or our fantasy life. And, and, And that's just the sins of commission. There are also sins of omission where we fail to demonstrate that Jesus is Lord by not doing the things that we know that we ought to do. Uh, This is uh, because we live this, uh, at times, fragmented life. We have these parts of ourselves, these unconverted places that uh, need to be given over to the Lordship of Jesus. Now, our undisciplined responses to the temptation are really what is creating this discord in our lives. In other words, this problem, this discord, this, 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 challenge of our profession being greater than our practice. It's not a problem that's external to us. It's a problem that's internal to us. This is not a problem because of the world and its multitude of temptations, but it's the problem of our responses to the temptations. And we need his salvation, his spirit to permeate us, to permeate into those unconverted places so that we would practice what we profess. Now, the military is always concerned that its soldiers have the right stuff. They're they're concerned that while the soldier will say, yes, sir, right away, sir, 
On the battlefield in the heat of the moment, they're not sure if that soldier will actually be able to follow through, follow orders. They want to know uh, in deep within the soldier's heart, their life, their psyche, if there is that ability to respond during challenging times. And they want to figure out that before actually they get into the midst of a battle or in the midst of a difficult situation. So the military trains for this uh, with boot camp and, and the Navy SEALs go through something called hell week. In order to become a Navy SEAL, they have to go through extensive training and, and kind of a testing period. And hell week is a time of sleep deprivation and nutrition deprivation deprivation and a lot of exercise that really uh, strips them down and, and, and makes them incredibly vulnerable to find out if in the end they can really stand the test and, and uh, respond appropriately under pressure. It, it, it tends to reveal their unconverted places, so to speak. And, and God, in fact, is not opposed to using hardship in our lives to reveal our unconverted places. Challenges, difficulties, and circumstances in our lives often reveal that there are, what, fragments of our inner selves that aren't completely converted to the Lordship of Jesus. And if it's, of course, it's better to have singleness of heart. It's better to deal with these things before the hard times comes, uh, because then we're ready for them. And, And to help us in the midst of that, There's God's great love that comforts us and encourages us and his Holy Spirit that strengthens us. We just need to be aware of the provision that God has for us. So how do we help ourselves so that our walk actually matches our talk? Well, first of all, I think we have to admit that there are unconverted places in our lives. I think this is about repentance and about confession and about saying, yes, Lord, I know that I, I, always, I don't always respond to the way I should respond. I don't always do the things that I should do, and I, sometimes I do the things that I shouldn't do. And we need to stop blaming the world for being the world. Of course the world will be an awful place. Of course the world will subject us to temptation. You know, if you think we have it bad in our world today, just think of the first century believers. Just think of the first century Jews. I mean, just think of, uh, just in terms of sexual immorality. Do you know that the Jews and the Christians were the only two people groups that believed in marriage fidelity? that actually believed that a husband and wife should remain faithful to one another. The Greek and Roman culture didn't think anything of marriage infidelity, of, of prostitution, or of, uh, of having an affair, or, or anything like that. They thought that that was totally legitimate. Sexual sin, there was no such thing as a sexual sin in the Roman and Greek worlds. It was only the Jewish people and the Christian people who believed that. Plus, throw in uh, infanticide, uh, throw in uh, torture and murder that was so common in the culture of that day. And on the other hand, you have these Jewish people and Christian people trying to stand up and, 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 and be faithful to the cause of Christ. I mean, they lived in a very, very difficult world. And you don't hear Jesus blaming the world. You don't hear the, the Apostle Paul blaming the world, but rather, this is an internal problem. We need to discipline our choices as we are faced with the temptations so that our uh, walk matches our talk. So this is an internal problem. This is something that we need to deal with. So stop blaming the world 
and start looking at our own lives and ask the power and the ability and the strength and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit so that he will enable us to, well, say no and discipline our choices in the midst of a very challenging world. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us. We need to remember that salvation is a process. We are growing into becoming more and more like Jesus. We are growing into uh, the place where our, well, our profession matches our practice. Let's pray that together. Lord, I pray that you would help us. Help us, Lord, as we uh, discover our unconverted places, the, the parts of our lives that don't quite match up with our profession. Lord, we know we, we, we sing songs at church and we pray prayers and we, we confess all kinds of really good stuff, but, but often uh, outside the walls of the church, uh, in our homes, we don't live up to what we profess. And, and we know this is, you're very aware of this in our lives. Help us, Lord. Help us to make disciplined choices with the things that we see, with the things that we do, and, and with the things that we're tempted not to do. Um, help us, Lord, as your Holy Spirit enables us. Help us to remember your great love for us. Help us to remember that the key to all of this is repentance and just throwing ourselves on your mercy and saying, Lord, help. Come. Come into my life. Come into every part of my life. All of those fragmented, unconverted spaces of my life. Heal me. Make me whole. Empower me. In your name we pray. Amen. There's something in the workplace today called imposter syndrome. This is the tendency to believe you're not qualified for your work. This tendency to believe that you're phony, that you're just acting. And that in reality, if people really knew who you were, you, they would fire you. They, you couldn't have the job. And, and psychologists are telling us that this is a, a common problem in the workforce today, imposter syndrome. Uh, and it's exacerbated. It's, it's made more difficult because in some workplaces, there's a fixed mindset. There's this idea that people are static in their abilities and that they won't grow. And that the, the real cure for the imposter syndrome is to create an atmosphere that's a growth mindset. Uh, this atmosphere where people understand, you know what, we're about growth. And yes, I'll admit, I am not completely capable of doing this job, but I can learn how to do it. I can grow. I can change. You see, our abilities aren't static. They're not unchanging. We can grow. We can grow into our jobs. In the same way in the kingdom of God, we need to have a growth mindset. You can grow into your profession. Uh, you're not going to be the same as you are right now. As you journey with Jesus, you are going to become more and more like Jesus. So this is a growth mindset that we need to encourage in one another. Yes, yes, we don't live up all the time to what we profess, but you know what? We are growing, we're changing, we're becoming more like Jesus. And the more that we can have that attitude that, that we are in growth, the more we will grow and change. So that's my prayer for you, that we would together understand that uh, God is enabling us to grow. In fact, at CLCC, one of, one of our goals is to help each of us grow into who Jesus wants us to be uh, in regard to our talent, in regard to our practices, 
in regard to our relationships, we are growing into who Jesus wants us to be. Our doxology is from Romans 11, verses 33 to 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Thanks for joining us. If you are looking to get connected, we are one church in multiple locations. Our Aldergrove campus meets at Parkside Elementary School Sundays at 1030. Our Abbotsford campus has three services each Sunday, 830, 10, and 1130. We would love to see you at one of our in-person gatherings. If you would like to financially support us, you can always give at cscca slash give. See you later. Thank you.